today on Doomed, a white nationalist in the White House. No, no, not that one. No, no, not that one either. Yeah, that's right, that one. That one, right, you got it. On today's episode of Doomed with Matt Binder, Michael Edison Hayden, senior investigative reporter with the Southern Poverty Law Center's Hate Watch, joins the show to discuss the explosive reporting he's done based on Stephen Miller's leaked emails. And before we get to that, folks, to support the show, go to patreon.com slash mattbinder, subscribe on YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you're watching live, feel free to drop a super chat in the YouTube stream. And without any further ado, uh... Michael Edison Hayden of Hate Watch, thank you for joining me. How you doing? I'm doing well. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Let me pull us up on the feed. There we go. I'm yeah. doing absolutely great, especially being that you have joined us yet again. This is your what um, I, uh, fourth, fifth appearance, something like that. I actually don't know, but um, uh, it's been a few for sure, and I feel like they 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 get progressively um, more troubling. Every time I'm doing one of these, uh, it's like something that is, that is potentially more dangerous every time, it feels like. Right, right. Well, this time we have, I mean, you always bring the the bombshell reporting. You go some sort of exclusive every time. But this time, this time I think you've outdone yourself, Michael. You have received a... I don't even know how to put describe it. A conclave of emails. They, they like the word trove. There we go. A trove. Tro- yeah, they like that. I don't see trove ever used very much outside of emails. A trove was... of emails. <laughs> Basically between Stephen Miller, who, I mean, I think everyone knows who Stephen Miller is now, by now, but maybe we should start there. Just summarize really quickly who Stephen Miller is and why is it important that you have these private correspondences from him to the right-wing publication Breitbart. Okay. Um, It's important first and foremost because, you know, in my opinion, from looking at him, I don't think we've had uh, a White House advisor who is as influential as Stephen Miller has been on the Trump administration. Um, most notably, uh, the type of very um, uh, draconian immigration policies that Trump has enacted uh, that we see all the time and create little flurries of outrage that disappear into the, into the constant uh, Trump media cycle, like news media cycle, it feels like. Um, or the person behind a lot of that, according to most reporting, uh, is Stephen Miller. And it matters because Miller has become very cagey with his correspondences, uh, as reported in Daily Beast, as reported in Washington Post. Miller has been uh, sending uh, fewer text messages to people, getting on the phone, uh, you know, more rarely uh, in front of people, um, just essentially becoming more secretive. And he was not that way uh, in the lead up to the 2016 election. And that's when the emails start. He's, uh, they start in March of 2015, so several months before Trump first announces 
and they end in June of 2016, uh, 27th, I believe, so almost July. And that matters for a couple of reasons. One, it is it captures the kind of the rise of Trump. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost a perfectly timed in some ways, right? Because it is like the that's the that's the moment where you just see this kind of like this this you know far right rocket going up in our culture, uh, and then you see this guy who is sending emails to Breitbart uh, to create, you know, in my opinion, an appetite for the exact same policies that President Trump would go on to enact in the White House. Right. And that's why it's so important, because Breitbart at that time, now, according to most numbers we've read, Breitbart's traffic has really hit the skids recently um, compared to where it was. But at the time that this was doing it, this was peak Breitbart. Breitbart was doing massive amounts of traffic across the world. And many of those stories, as it turns out, uh, you know, were being pushed directly from Jeff Sessions' office. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's shocking because, because Miller was, a, um, was an aide to Jeff Sessions at that time. And then Who, in January... At the time 20- was a sitting U.S. senator, right, right. So, you know... Exactly is, right. right. And, 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 and it, you know, the emails also give an indication of kind of this, the stuff that was preceding this. Like they talk about, you know, one of the one of the emails is about how they used Breitbart to to tank uh, Gang of Eight, which was an immigration bill uh, that was backed, uh, you know, bipartisan uh, immigration bill that was derailed. And, you know, in in the emails, Miller, along with um, several Breitbart employees, you know, they discuss about, you know, how they were able to use sort of Breitbart in order to create um, enough uh, pressure to keep that bill from passing. So there's a kind of a history that's revealed here of how Breitbart was being used by the anti-immigrant movement. Right. Now, what, do we, is there a reason why the emails only go up to uh, that point in 2016? Like, does he just, do we know if he just stops contacting Breitbart or the, the, the person who provided you with these emails just stopped receiving correspondence from him? Do we know, yeah. do we know why these emails only go up to that certain point? Well, uh, the the reason I think uh, well the, the the one thing we can see how about this um, with certainty and Katie McHugh is the is the is the Breitbart editor who leaked the emails to me. McHugh, um, you know, definitely the dynamic between him and McHugh changes around the time that in the emails around the time that he becomes part of the Trump administration. He becomes a little shorter with her. It's almost like in my opinion, that he's giving orders more uh, commonly from the Trump administration, just aggregate this, do this, you know, uh, he's busy. He doesn't have time to like shape the, shape the conversation as much as he did when, when they first meet, um, you know, where he doesn't know what he's doing and he's not, he's not a big, big shot anymore. I mean, a big shot then. And, you know, uh, so my feeling about it is that he becomes, uh, the stakes get higher and he gets more concerned. It's like, you know, You'd be, uh, let's say you're, you know, right. he goes from he goes from sitting in the office of an elected official to working on a campaign that might lose. So, you know, it gets I guess he's a bit more uh, tense and on edge. Yeah, like if you were, you know, just as an example, let's say let's say you were like, I don't know, there's some kind of like big job you're up for and you do like some like uh, 
sex advice blog or something like that on the <laughs> right. side or something, right? right? You know, it's just like it's like you're like, well, suddenly I can't do that blog anymore, right? Because now there's more tension on me and there's more whatever, right? So in the case of like doing this over Breitbart, the appetite may still be there to get these stories out there, but he's just being more careful about leaving a trace because it can all go back. Now the stakes are really high. He's playing on the biggest stage. Right. So, so, you know, a lot of people who are familiar with Stephen Miller, and I think now that we've explained pretty much who he is uh, in, in, a, in a summary uh, capacity, uh, I think everyone realizes who we're talking about now because he's been out there since, you know, the beginning of Donald Trump's presidency. Everyone should know what he looks like. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people, I think, uh, well, not a lot of people, but some people might be reading the supporting and saying, oh, well, I mean... We know who Stephen Miller is. This is a guy who we had a feeling is a white nationalist. Uh, so no surprise there. I, I disagree with that. I think these emails are extremely important. So to those people, explain to them why these emails are important to actually, you know, to actually now have this real, uh, can't say physical, it's email, but this real proof. Yeah, I mean... You know, this is not, not me being partial to having written the story, uh, but actually I think... They are more important than than ever. I mean, this is an opportunity now where we have a chance to show people, you know, for real, that the Trump. I mean, this is you know, there have been all kinds of suspicions about Trump's immigration policies, where they come from, what he's listening to, what he's not listening to, who he's you know, who he's speaking with, whatever. Um, now we know that the guy who is credited with writing a lot of these immigration policies reads publications, white nationalist publications, the traffic in race science, where they inherently believe, where, where, where the, the belief system on the page of American Renaissance is, is, is one in which whites are intellectually superior to people of Latin origin, um, black people, and so forth. So now we have proof. And you don't have to be like, oh, we know this guy's a racist or whatever. That's a huge different thing from him being enmeshed in the culture of organized racism, right. right? And the reason why that becomes, I say it's more important now than ever, is we have to make the case that this has to stop, and not just by the election. We have to, I believe, you know, anybody who's listening should be taking this up, you know, wherever you have a chance to get in touch with the type of people who care about immigrant rights. They need to be, you know, uh, I believe, targeting their focus on Stephen Miller right now, because it's a very scary proposition. If you see things like, you know, that's happening on the border right now where, you know, you have reportedly babies being removed from their mothers. This is a kind of, you know, this is insanity. This is like really um, torture, in my opinion. And stuff like that, you can imagine why someone who reads publications that traffic in race science, why something like that would be acceptable, theoretically, right? right. Because, because, you know, if he believes that, Latin people, people from Latin America, are predisposed to being less human, you know, than whites. Um, you know, small wonder why he would be willing to tolerate such behavior or even condone it. And I don't know exactly where, you know, because they didn't answer my questions on some of this stuff. But the, but the, but the fact remains that he's reading these publications. These publications are... Oh, you broke up for a second. Oh, you broke up there. Let me call you back. Uh, oh, you broke up. Oh, you're back. All right, cool. Just 
Take it back to where you were talking about. Uh, I'm used... sorry, I froze there. I felt it's... myself freezing. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Just take it back to where you were telling about, uh, telling us about why it's important that we know that he reads these publications. No, I mean it's important we know he reads these publications because, like I said, you know, and and this may have come across, but I'm happy to say it twice that if he is doing these things, you know, if if the government is doing these things at the border and he is condoning it, right? And he is reading publications in which, you know, that that traffic in the idea that Latin people are inferior to whites, then that would help explain why he doesn't care right. about about things that are tantamount to torture. Right. Right. Now, um, again, Miller did not answer my questions about this stuff. Maybe he says, well, this is a problem we're trying to fix. And I was not responsible for that. And, and I, you know, I didn't know American Renaissance was a white nationalist publication. I, you know, <laughs> you know I, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, you know, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't know because he never told me those things. And the, and the only response that they've given so far is to try to write off SPLC as far left prop. You know, it's a far left smear campaign and that I'm anti-Semitic, which is, <laughs> come on. Uh, I was on here talking Iron March last, was it? Or was it was it Matt, Matt Gebert of the State Department who, uh, you know, right. was it? I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff. And they're not, you know, at no point has Miller ever denied that he reads Vider, that he reads American Renaissance. At no point has he ever denied that he reads those things and those that affects his, you know, judgment on writing immigration policy. Right. So, you know, I would, I would love for him to speak out and just be like, no, I don't do that. But I think it's a very difficult argument for him to make based upon the reporting that, that we presented so far. I'm like now imagining this like virulently like super anti-immigrant publication that's also like super anti-white nationalist, which would be... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, look, look, I can say with comfort with 100% comfort, Vidare is a white nationalist website. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I just, you know. American I, Renaissance is a, is a white nationalist website. Camp of the Saints is is a novel that is obscure and popular. Uh, you know, the, its popularity is driven by white nationalists and neo-Nazis. I want to go into that because I think most people are unfamiliar with that. But first, before we do that, I, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up, but I don't want to forget about sure, it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think most people who watch the, who listen to, listen to or watch this show know, you know, think this is important because they follow this, listen to the show because they want to follow this stuff. I just yeah. want, you know, it would, it would have killed me if well, even one person who listened to the show for the first time was like, we know he's a white supremacist. No, I had to, I had to shut that down in case anyone no, even no. thought that. No, it's good. We should answer like all the, all the dumb questions. <laughs> so, so going to the, back to the Breitbart thing really quick before we jump into the, what's the content of these emails. Now, we we know that you know Breitbart had supplied went ahead and supplied Trump. Well, maybe not that phrasing isn't perfect, but you know, Bannon left his role as editor in chief of Breitbart to go work for the Trump uh, for the Trump uh, for the Trump campaign. Now yeah. Mil Miller joins the Trump campaign well before Bannon joins the Trump campaign. Correct? I believe so. Yes. Right. Yes. Once so, again, so, yes. so are these do we do we have any idea if if these people are are pushing to have others within Breitbart or in that orbit hired? I mean, I'm sure they did, but do we have any proof of that in terms of any of these emails? Um, some of that I can't answer um, right now, okay. but uh, let's put it this way. Um, the the anti-immigrant um, kind of ecosystem around Breitbart, the people who read it, 
Um, Breitbart was like making it for a lot of these smaller anti-immigrant. They're trying to get their ideas into Breitbart, right? That's a place with a huge megaphone. Um, and, that, and the people who are around that anti-immigrant network um, surrounding that, big and small, I think played a very big role in shaping Trump's administration. Uh, and because, you know, largely because of, I mean, it's starting really, you know, when Miller went through you know, to the Trump campaign in, in, in January 2016. You can read Washington Post coverage at that time. It's very interesting to read. And, um, you know, they don't really know much about him, and nobody really suggests that he might be a controversial choice. Right. Uh, and he was. <laughs> he certainly was. In my opinion, uh, Miller is uh, far more extreme in these emails than Bannon. Wow. So, Oh, yeah. Significantly. Interesting. Me. Now, do you think he seems to be the driver? He seems to be the driver of a lot of conversations that are more extreme that Bannon gets looped into. Do you think he's right. do you think he's I mean, this is this is basically saying, you know, they're both pretty bad. But I mean, do you think he's uh, in general more extreme than Bannon? Or do you think Bannon is just better at shaping the conversation in a way that uh, is more, uh, I guess, uh, aware of how it looks in terms of how it's presented to, I guess, you know, if it was presented in public or to the press. Yeah. So, um, you know, from, from, from reading these emails a bunch of times, which I've just read them, you know, over and over. Now when I see them, I, I almost know which the next one is. I've seen them so many times. What I, what I can say is that Bannon is a businessman who has, political beliefs and, you know, has far-right political beliefs and hate. Miller, you know, is in the business of hate and political and politics, right? right. right? He is um, a true believer in these emails. I mean, he is a kind of guy who, when confronted with information about immigrants that, you know, dispels his, you know, his his prejudices, essentially, what he does is he will take that and be like, this is lies, lies, and more lies, right? He'll use such really strong language. And um, it's, a, it, like, it's, it's fascinating in some ways because you can see how prejudice functions in, you know, in, like, like almost like a, a perfect example of how prejudice functions, where someone's like, actually, um, when you add immigrants to this city, the crime rate goes down or whatever. And he immediately says, this is lies. And he, you know, will look for something to disprove it um, because is because he is driven so strongly by his prejudice against, you know, non-white people and non-white immigrants in particular. Um, and it's like, interesting also because the fact that Miller comes from you know, a, a wealthy, a relatively wealthy background, right? Santa Monica High School um, and a diverse background where he was surrounded by people of color all over the place. He lived in Los Angeles in the emails. At one point, he calls it the ruined city of Los Angeles. <laughs> he, like, Jesus. Uh, yeah. I, how can he ever go back there? Right. Right. Well, like, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of places he can't go anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, right, really like, thanks. You know, I mean, I just imagine saying that about your home city. You have no attachment whatsoever, just to look back with so much anger and hatred, um, at your upbringing. Um, and, and if you look at what Miller does, it's like one of the first thing he, he does after high school 
is he writes a, a thing for David Horowitz or whatever, and um, that gets that that runs concurrently in American Renaissance, which we revealed in the first story. It was 2005, and uh, which is crazy, right? That's kind of crazy. That right. um, nobody found that, or no, nobody bothered to look. You know, right. but this guy who was advising like the Republican nominee at the time was, you know, had a had a byline in American Renaissance. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether they, you know, how they picked it up, but his story ran in it. And when he goes to Duke, right, in 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 um, in 2007, ha- like helps stage a debate, according to witnesses, um, between uh, Peter Lawfer, who is a kind of a um, pro-immigration um, academic. And Peter Brimlow, who is the founder of VDARE, a white nationalist website right. on the campus. And who does he arrange the debate with? He arranges the debate with Richard Spencer, who, as we know, goes on to, to found the all-right movement. What so, year is this again? It's like 2007. It's wow, in the last, so this in is, the last okay. section of the first story. Yeah, it's in the last section of the first story. So he does that. And then um, the next steps are, he goes, um, I believe he's a press person for Michelle Bachman, um, not necessarily known for her uh, um, open-mindedness, I would say. And, uh, you know, that's where he starts to get into the business of influencing the press, you know, and starting to push for the kind of ideas he wants to get reported, he wants to see reported. And then he goes to work for Jeff Sessions. And now he's working where he really wants to work, which is immigration, because he sees a guy here who's got a record as, you know, as being on the you know extreme end of the spectrum of elected officials on immigration, and he goes to work for him, and he is pushing, you know, Sessions' ideas through these conservative uh, publications, and the ideas come from, again, websites that traffic and debunked race science and eugenics, dehumanizing stuff, white supremacist websites, etc. Um, he's a true believer, whereas Bannon, I think Bannon, you know has prejudice. There's no question about that. You know, it's not like that's, that's not the question of whether Bannon, uh, you know, you can argue is, is like, because of his media power was the, you know, such a dangerous figure in normalizing, you know, the type of stuff we saw in Charlottesville. I mean, he's huge, usually in normalizing it. Um, but he was also, he's also a business guy, right. Who, who owns like, who gets money from Seinfeld and stuff like that. Right. So, Miller doesn't have time for any of that. He's emailing people at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning about, you know, about like some obscure thing that, that someone who is an immigrant did. I mean, it's really obsessive is the way I would describe him. No, I totally get what you're saying. It's sort of like, you know, Bannon is just like an advocate for these things, but he's got other things going on. So he doesn't, he doesn't live it in the way that Miller does. Like this is Miller's life. It consumes him to be this person because that's, that's who he is. Yeah, I got high up in the in the first story, and it took me a long time in order to 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 get that that data together. But over eighty percent of the emails, nine hundred and forty emails, deal with race and immigration as as a subject. Jeez, um, and I think I was relatively generous. Um, you know, I think I was relatively generous. Uh, sorry, the cat is being let out. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> the cat was scratching and my wife let him out. Uh, I didn't even know he was in here, honestly. <laughs> normally, normally I'm in the kitchen with like, um, you know, that Spider-Man poster in the background. Right. 
but uh, I'm here. I'm no, here. Don't, don't worry. I've had I've had a my cat literally start climbing on top of me while I'm doing this. So it's all good. <laughs> yes. Don't worry about it. So um, where was I? That uh, yeah. I mean, he's all ours. You know, full tilt. He's not a guy who's who would will compromise these beliefs. This is all this is all that he's about. And 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 those eighty, like I said, eighty percent or whatever was I, I believe was relatively generous. You know, I, I kept out a lot of. I did not include a bunch of stuff that related to TPS that had a lot of foreign worker stuff in it that is also related to that subject, right? But I was like, well, this is about TPS. Like that's like one step removed, even though I know what what concerns about TPS. It's not like he had the Bernie like take, right? He's not like well, Bernie also cares about like. Um, oh, wait, you talking about the TPP? TPP. That's what I'm right, I'm right, sorry. right. Like the things complete. Yeah. TPP, TPS is trans uh, temporary, protective, temporary protective status. You're talking yeah, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, right? Yeah, Trans-Pacific Partnership, my brain. No, it's all good. No, but um, he, like, I, I kept some of those out of the calculation, even though I knew what was driving, you know, behind that is really this right. kind of foreign worker concerns, right? Right. There are, some, uh, there are some issues where, you know, people on the left and people on the right probably have the same stance, but for completely different reasons. Right. And, and, and the TPP is one of those very right. obvious things where, you know, Trump, Trump didn't like it and Bernie didn't like it, but Bernie didn't like it for different reasons than Trump and his people. And I'm sure Miller and uh, Bannon had uh, similar reasons to Trump. <laughs> I'm sure Trump, Trump's reasoning actually for being against it was because Miller and Bannon told him to be against it. You know, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a little bit of magic in a bottle that kind of happens when Trump is gets, you know, gets the nominee or even when he when he announces when he announces it becomes like such a massive thing for them. You can see Miller's emails change, right? He's in it's, it, it, you know, when he announces in July, he's emailing, he's angry. It looks like to me that he's favoring Governor Scott Walker at that time. And um, I've, I asked Katie McHugh, she believes that as well. Um, Miller but, was favoring Walker? Yeah, well, I mean, he was just looking for a candidate. Right. You know, and, you know, there's a couple of times where I think he says something along the lines of only Walkers, you know, whatever. But he's not like amped up. And then Trump announces and it goes into overdrive. And actually, I, like July, um, which is right after Trump announces, like explosions of emails, he suddenly sees he has um, a horse in the race, you know, and this is his chance, you know, right. to make a, make a, make a difference. And it just explodes with emails and he's just all over the place trying to savage Marco Rubio and anybody else that's in, that's potentially in Trump's way. Right. And Sessions was the first person to endorse Trump in terms of a, a sitting, uh, congressperson. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you can basically I also have seen the emails from Garrett Murch, who is another, you know, age of sessions at that time. And so, I mean, they're really like tag teaming Breitbart on these things where they're just both at the same time, sometimes, you know, emailing. You can imagine them, the two of them, true believers, um, listening to conservative talk radio in their, you know, uh, during the day. They're listening to Mark Levin show because they're referring to things that Mark Levin just said and Rush oh, Limbaugh. Wow. Yeah, it's actually a trip, man. It's like, it, you, remember we talked about Iron March when we did it, where I right. was like, you feel like you're crawling through this space, uh, yeah. you know, that is like frozen in time. This is what the email, like going through the emails is like. It's like you're like in somebody's office and it's 2015, 20, and the more you read them, the more everything else becomes apparent, which is like, you know, something Levin says, and I'm like, Levin, what are they? And then, you know, a few times later, you're like, okay, that was on the Mark Levin show that day. Right. Right. They were listening to it on the radio together. 
that's that's something else to be that yeah. you know that ugh, connected to talk radio to just literally have it like speak for you as you're typing things down in an email it's incredible he, he, he likes levin and he likes limbaugh for the most part seems like right likes yeah it makes make i would actually i would it makes sense but i actually wonder if he thinks they're not far enough even for you know for him you know what i mean oh, like, oh you know look he got what you know it's interesting actually the for 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 me the most you know the most extreme content in these emails actually is just miller you know, it's not the things he shares. It's right. it's his obsessions for me. Right. And that's why I, I think people can get caught up on, okay, he shared a, a naughty link, you know, according to the SPLC. Um, he shared a white nationalist. Forget those terms. Don't worry about, you know, white nationalist website, whether, whether something is white nationalist or not. Don't, don't worry about those terms. The only thing you need to know is about these emails is like he keeps bringing up Calvin Coolidge as like an influence. Right. And like this to me is the, the, the most important takeaway for people. It's like, well, was like, what's your opinion about Calvin Coolidge? Does anybody have one? Have you ever had a? I've never had an opinion. He's not one of those presidents I usually think of when no. I think of like the presidents that matter. You know what I mean? Like the famous. That's right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, I would, you know, it's not somebody I would think about. Right. You what's know, interesting. Day, what's, what's, what's interesting, though, that you bring up, bring up Calvin Coolidge. Literally, and obviously this isn't some one of the presidents whose name would come up, literally right before we jumped on the line, I was watching the short little like Christmas tree lighting clip that the White House put up of Trump speaking. And mm. the first line in the speech is him talking about Calvin Coolidge. Is that are you is that right? Yeah, he brings up how I think like Calvin Coolidge like like from the first time that the Christmas tree was lit when Calvin Coolidge lit the Christmas tree or something like well, that. Well, maybe 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 if it's Coolidge lit the first tree, I guess. Still guy. still <laughs> still a little bit crazy that you bring him up in terms of like cuz you know, you don't have to I'm, bring up I'm, Calvin I'm, Coolidge at the I'm Christmas sure tree Miller lighting. Is trying to normalize the Coolidge thing right, right now. Right, well, exactly. So, that's that's what I'm trying to say here. I wonder if, you know, that's so, something to do with it. So the takeaway for people is you should understand when I keep thinking about race science, eugenics, race science, eugenics, right? He brings up Coolidge a bunch of times where it's like, where, and, and in the most like insufferable way, in my opinion, like it would be like, you know, he'll share a link that says this is the start of Immigrant Heritage Month, you know, and he'd be like, someone should tell them about the heritage of Calvin Coolidge. It's actually quite embarrassing in some ways, you know, just what a ridiculous email. Um, but um, Calvin Coolidge what did he do? He's a, he accomplished very little. He's considered a very inconsequential president, but yet he is beloved by white nationalists. They love him. Why is that? The reason why they love him, okay, is because he signed the Immigration Act of 1924. And the Immigration Act of 1924, which was based on race science and eugenics, it was based on that. I know it's an American document, so we have a little hard time with this. Based on race science and eugenics, it plays racial quota laws on our immigration system and we did away with it in 1965 with hard seller because we by removing the racial quota laws take away the racial quota laws then we have a more like the contemporary modern world that we know of whatever so why does he like calvin coolidge who gets written about all the time in american renaissance <laughs> and Pierre and all these things because he put a halt on it, complete halt on immigration at one point, and he 
put in place racial quota laws based upon debunked race science. It's like believing that you could turn lead into gold. This stuff has been thoroughly debunked by the scientific community. It is complete garbage. But that is the guy that Miller looks at and is like, that's America. That's American heritage, essentially, is what he, you know, he says, the her- he keeps referring the heritage of Calvin Coolidge. Um, so the heritage of Calvin Coolidge is essentially that. That's the first thing. Second thing um, you need to know is that is that Calvin Coolidge was praised, the Immigration Act of 1924 was praised in Mein Kampf, okay? This predates World War II. So let's just like, again, right. you know, for, for, for anybody who's, uh, you know, stoned and doing video games at the same time or whatever, I'm going to slow it down for you. <laughs> this is almost 100, 100 years old at this point, okay? This is in an era where people are being lynched, okay? And like this is a this is a truly dark time in America's history that predates World War II, okay? There's like the like America um, the the levels of racism that would be acceptable in mainstream American culture in 1924, almost 100 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that this guy is in there and he's writing the immigration policies now and he's looking at a guy who was pr- praised by Adolf Hitler as like, you know, that's his version of American heritage. That is, I'm sorry, something else to me. That is not good. And it is an issue that I think people who are concerned about this need to be pressing people about. If, you know, um, if somebody's got can reach three people to tell them, tell them, tell three people. If you can reach 300, tell 300. If you can tell a million tell anyone you can, because this is really, you know, really bad things are happening in the United States right now. And if this guy believes this stuff um, and, you know, the emails say that he does, then we have a really serious problem on our hands. Oh, for sure. Right. You know, not to, not to stick around with the Coolidge stuff, but now that, you know, you brought all his, his history up that I wasn't even aware of in terms of why he's so prominent among these people, you know, and then the, the Christmas tree video I was watching, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. I bet your favorite, like, Look, probably was like, Oh, that was a cool. Let's try to get it in there. Try to normalize it. Cause he's like, you can see he's trying to like resuscitate himself right now with like little things. Right. You know, right. Just, uh, just you know, you don't have to mention him. It's not, I mean, it's not really necessary. Right? I'm, I'm normal. It's not weird that I'm like this, been exposed, you know, in these emails as this, like, you know, as having these beliefs. Right. So let's let's jump into these these emails. I want to, I want to point out to everyone that so far you've written uh, four separate reports on this, correct? Four, um, four. There, you can see them all like on one, you know, in our homepage. I think we have like a, you can read six of them, but four are like the the meat of the investigation, so to speak. Um, uh, then there is a sidebar on Camp of the Saints, which I prepared in advance because I did not want that that tidbit to go and people to you know say, oh, what's Camp of the Saints? Um, so I explained what that is in that sidebar. And uh, Hannah Gase, who is my colleague there, wrote a little bit about the reactions at that time. And so those are the six stories that are so far. Um, and there's more coming down the pipeline, right? We got even more. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to, you know... Um, I'm working on something now. I don't want to put a put a date on it just yet because stakes are uh, fairly, you know. I want to I want to get it I want to get it right. The point is, I I, I cashed out what I had in my head right. with those stories, you know, the first time around. I didn't know how people were going to react to it. Um, 
I didn't know what the reaction was going to be or anything like that. So I was not like super prepared to, you know, just keep going. And I was also just burnt out, you know? Um, so now I have a chance to like, look at them with fresh eyes. Not so fresh, actually. To be honest with you. <laughs> you can't tell. You can't tell for the fact that I was TPP, TPS. Like, or, it's all you know, good. Like, yeah, it's, listen, if you, I can only imagine going through 900 plus emails from Stephen Miller. I mean, <laughs> going through 900 emails enough just from a, a, a variety of people is some is a task. To listen to to read 900 emails from that guy, I could only. <laughs> well, it's not just read them. I mean, I read them back to front. I was working until like two in the morning every night, and then I was working on the weekends, like like all Saturday and all Sunday, which is why like. You know, my body just like broke down at the end of this. I had like my back went out twice. You know, I was like just because I went full tilt on this for right. for so long. Um, but it's because it's like when I saw them, I was like I understood. There's like a, a real responsibility to tell people about this, and you know, I feel that um, obviously, like you know, we all get into our work for different things, but I feel that responsibility every time I come across, um, you know, material that is is dangerous. Um, you know, particularly things that are, you know, promote fascism in, in ways uh, that are, you know, uh, potentially dangerous, dangerous to the public and whatever else. But this is this was a, obviously at a different level because the amount of power he has, he has a lot of power, right. this man. And, you know, what what he believes is newsworthy. Um, it really so, is. So I, mean, I want everyone to really read. Go go to there's links on the Patreon and links in the YouTube uh, description to your work. I want everyone to go read these emails. Read the reports that Michael literally broke his his body for, <laughs> uh, and and keep 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 stay and stay tuned for the future ones. But let's let's jump in now to just a few standouts in this email in these emails. Yeah, yeah let's and, do it. And, and the one I want to get to right away, right off the bat. Is this book you've been constantly bringing up that even I was sort of unfamiliar with, and it's called Camp of the Saints. Yes. What is Camp of the Saints? Of the Saints. Excuse me. What is Camp of the Saints, and why is Stephen Miller so obsessed with it? It's the most racist book I think I've ever read. Wow. How about that for a start? Wow. Was most, I was like, I mean. You can argue that, like the you know, obviously the the Turner Diaries is apocalyptic. It's a very famous white supremacist novel um, that you know, uh, you know, uh, inspired Timothy McVeigh, um, things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily the most far right extreme book, but it is the most racist book I have ever read in my life. Um, essentially, it's just like uh, it's France, and there's like this. Um, kind of group of refugees that come from India and um, you know, the, the leader of the group is associated with, with eating feces literally. And he smells like shit and all these other grotesque racist stereotypes. And basically they come into France and they begin like taking over basically they're taking the culture and they're having sex with this like a, a white woman is essentially raped to death in the book um by refugees and it's 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 done in this you know just absolutely trashy style where you know it's 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 you know she it's sort of hinted at that she's enjoying it like in this weird way it's just like you know this really grotesque um perverse 
perverse. It's like, you know, no kink shaming. It's like a really ridiculous, uh, but it is. I mean, it's like this so fixated on fear of brown people. Um, it's it, that it's perverse. It's like quite disturbing to read it. I mean, as a, you know, as a person my, myself who's like mixed Arab and white, you read that, I was like, well, I mean, it's like, I mean, I'll just tell you, the world doesn't necessarily end uh, <laughs> when, you know, when Arab people show up. But right. um, uh, yeah, Arab and Indian um, immigrants, essentially, and uh, they just take over. There's one part in the book when there's like a priest who's kind of like the far right figure. Uh, I believe he's sort of like warning about Yes, he's like warning about race mixing and like what could it, what it could, how it could lead the cult, you know, culture or whatever. And there's this like hippie kind of character, like a leftist who's like, you know, just just let it happen or whatever. And, and then the guy shoots him to death, uh, the, the priest or whatever. It's a priest. I can't remember if he's a priest. I don't want to get that wrong. But the far right figure. Anyway, the point is that, that those are the stakes for the author. Right. The stakes, the stakes are this is worth dying. over. Race mixing is something worth dying over. Right. And that's that's insane. That's a, like, you know. Look, people can write books about whatever they want, but we should have concerns about the fact that we've got, like I said, arguably the most influential White House advisor in generations in there um, right now, writing immigration policy that restricts people who are non-white from entering the United States um, and, you know, the, the whatever it is, de facto Muslim ban. Um, and... He's reading books like this and recommending stories on it. How does he? Yeah. How does he? Like, what? In what context does he bring the, this book? This book is is complete work of fiction, I'm right? Like, yeah, even based yeah, on. It, yes, it's it's a it's like a dystopian. But I think I, I compared it in the sidebar to like RoboCop. If like where Robo no, no RoboCop is is just incredible. It's one of my favorite films. But, um, <laughs> but like, in in Verhoeven's movie, right. Like this whole privatization of public goods is the dystopia that drives, or public works is the you know dystopia that sort of drives the action of RoboCop, right? That drives the conflict. Conflict arises because now OCP is now involved. The corporation in RoboCop is now involved in, you know, they're doing the public works program, and now they're saving time with like robot cops who are violent, dangerous, and all this other stuff, right? So the, this is a dystopia where the, what drives the tension of Camp of the Saints, and I should say tension, it is a terribly written book, and these people read terrible books in the anti-immigration. They're just like, it's so much sad way to live. Um, anyway, the point is that the, you know, the tension is driven by brown people. It's just brown people showing up. That's the tension. That's the dystopia. Um, which is why it's such a like a, you know, a book that should be regarded as such low esteem. It's just garbage, with terrible prose too. Just crap. Right. But I mean, this doesn't make any sense in terms of like. I mean, you could just then, I mean, you could, I could pick up Harry Potter and say, uh, I hate to bring up that book of all books. I can't believe that's the one that came to my head. I'm the type of person who tells everyone else to read another book, and here I am bringing up Harry Potter. But it's like you know, so there are some like, liberals who I bet would would. <laughs> Probably make policy off of Harry Right, right. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm actually disgusted at myself for bringing this up for this analogy. But it's like being like, you know, oh, it's, I mean, look, the life of the muggles was so much better before the wizard showed up. I mean, who, <laughs> like, it's, it's like completely makes no sense. Like, what is it yeah. even? It's a fictional book. It doesn't even, it's, it's just, 
Right, but 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 look, let's let's get back to the point here. So, Camp of the Saints, why is it, you know, what, what, he reads the book. He recommends it, Breitbart write about it in the context of, you know, uh, Pope Francis's rhetoric about refugees. Uh, okay. He says, has anyone compared this to Camp of the Saints yet? And McHugh blows him off. She doesn't respond. But Julia Hahn, who is now an aide in the White House, by the way, um, is it was working at Breitbart at the time. She writes an article based on that. Oh, and so in fact, she was taken taken to task in the Intercept over that article. Like there was a thing, the extremist in the White House, Julia Hahn. But the person who was influencing it, from you know, most likely based upon the timings of the email, he recommends it to McHugh on September sixth. Then, then Julia Hahn does it on uh, on September eighteenth. Unless that's a total coincidence, is Miller, and you know. Bannon gets in trouble for referencing Camp of the Saints, which he does on a radio show on Sirius um, with Jeff Se interviewing Jeff Sessions. He does that on October 4th, I believe, of 2015. And so a month after, Miller starts bringing it up in these emails. Another thing uh, that is important is, you, you know, Camp of the Saints is not just a racist book. Um, the, the, it was it was produced by a white nationalist publisher in the United States. It's a French book. The, the rights were picked up um, by, by a white nationalist publisher. So it's like, in order to get it, you know, in order to get access to it, you have to make contact with some, some unsavory people. Then Vider has a story tag called Camp of the Saints, where they plug out the end of anything that has to do with non-white refugees. Right? Right. Now, you can understand how how difficult it is right. to get in the hands of somebody who doesn't read uh, white nationalist literature. Right. 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 So, so who he, else, who else is reading camp of the saints? Right. It's, it's funny that when you, when you mentioned that, he, that, that email just brings it up as if like, Oh, everybody, you know, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, to kill a mockingbird or catcher in the rye. When this email where he goes, uh, oh, is anyone compared this to, to camp of the saints as if like, Oh yeah, I knew I should, uh, I knew it reminded me of something, right? I mean, <laughs> it's a, it, you know, but it, it just it just shows. I mean, to me, it just shows you there's so many layers of it. Let's let's say somebody um, who you know someone else recommended to him and he never saw the VDR stuff, right? Let's say he never saw that, and let's say he he did not even know that the the publisher was a white nationalist publisher. Let's say he didn't know any of that. Someone just gave it to him. The book itself is what is most damning. You know, right. imagine, imagine reading that. I mean, it is disgusting. Imagine getting far. I, I've read it, but like, I, you know, I have to do it for work. Right. So, um, you meant, you mentioned that like the, the, the main character of the Indian, uh, immigrants is like eats, eats literal feces, but yes. I don't think you mentioned that the book literally calls him turd eater. I mean, I don't think you get more explicit than that. Sure, like, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I, mean uh, I think that says everything about how this book views, uh, immigrants. I mean, it's yes. it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, now is this where is this where that whole because I've seen them do this and I was like, you know, where are they getting this? Because like, they all use it. Is this book where their terrible phrase "shit skin" came from? Is that where that came from? Or I I don't think it necessarily came from there, but um, that's a good question actually because because that's one um, that I, like I I had never heard that word until someone called it to me like on Gab. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it like necessarily came from there, but it's all it's all part of the same thing like right, associating culture, right. 
yeah, it's the same kind of um, race purity, paranoia, so forth. I mean, it's 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 very funny to me also um, that that like by the way that white nationalists are so so obsessed with this because like many of the people this is a digression, but many of the people who um, you know are like rising to prominence among them are people who you're like really close to immigrants or have immigrants in their family and have kind of denied it and, or like of, you know, either that or they've internalized a lot of hate. It's fascinating to me actually. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I mean, Miller himself is, is Jewish, correct? Right. right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he certainly is as a matter I mean... <laughs> of fact, but, but, but as I, as I, you know, as I've said about that, like in reference to, you know, cause I've had to answer questions like on CNN and stuff like that about anti-Semitism. You know, I mean, which is ridiculous, but like anybody, anybody at all can believe in this in in this evil race science crap. Any any sicko can believe in it. And and you can be Jewish and think that you are superior to other people because of because of bad race science. Right. And you, you can. Of course you can. Of course, you can be light, you know, light skinned, you know, Latin as well. Of course. Yeah, I, you know, I, I could say like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Arab and white. I'm, you know, like whatever. I mean, the fact that he's Jewish does not matter. Absolutely. And, 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 and whether you label him a white nationalist or not does not matter. What matters is Immigration Act of 1924, racial quota laws. That's what this guy likes. American Renaissance, he gets on the phone and tells her to aggregate for American Renaissance, Jared Taylor. He's a guy who traffics in race science. He's a guy who believes that whites are superior, intellectually superior to black people. Full stop. Okay. Well, Jared Taylor is is one of like the the most prominent like of the old school white nationalists in this country. I mean, he's like, well, yeah, he's like one of their. I mean, it's impossible that you would you, no, would, you would do he, anything he, involving him and 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 claim ignorance to being to this content being white nationalist. And I, you know, in my opinion, also Stephen Miller knows it's bad. Okay, he knows it's bad too because what does he do? He tells McHugh, "Get on the, get, can you get on the phone?" He takes other people off the thread and is like, "Here's some uh, race crime statistics. Um, can you get on the phone real quick?" And then like they have a talk about it. I mean, yeah, you, you, of course you would. Know. And then again, um, Vider, uh, what 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 is the basic? You know, what is the basic crux of? Where does the name come from? Virginia Dare is the first um, first English child born in the New World, right? And Brimlow himself, um, according to our um, our extremist file on him, um, even I think discussed having a chapter at the end of his book that that you know he was talked out of or whatever, in which there would be a, a dystopian version of the Virginia Dare story. It would be like the last white child on earth, like fighting against what I guess you would describe as white genocide. Um, yeah, this is, this is serious stuff. And, and like, you know, can, tangent, can we do a tangent? Absolutely. I think it's a good tangent. One thing that's very interesting about these things, 2014, 2015 Republican party, Bobby Jindal, right? Right. Marco Rubio, Rubio. is keeping America. Right. Cruz. Cruz. But also Nikki Haley. These were, they were trying to adapt to a future of changing demographics, right? And what happens in these emails in real time is you see this 
people who don't want to go along with the plan. They're like, no, what I want to do is double down. And it's actually, if you think about it, um, there's a reason why the Republicans would want to push candidates like Marco Rubio, in fact. And the reason why it was Cuban American, whatever, is because um, because the future, you know, everyone's going to be a minority in the future. Those are like that. Those are the demographics or whatever. The, the, the idea of changing it would require so changing that course is we're going to require, you know, untold amounts of suffering for for people all over this country. Right. Right. And and it doesn't make sense. And then why would you quadruple down on, you know, this white populism thing or whatever? Um, it doesn't make sense for your long-term play. But you had this cookie here, right? There's this cookie right there to take it if you want it, and that is to stir up the, you know, the this this party that is majority white by a large population, right? Stir them up and get the base in a particular order and for short-term rewards. And some people, like Miller, were very keen to do that. Now, I don't know how, how could you imagine them trying to shift to a person of color, you know, as a, as, as a party leader, or a person like Marco Rubio, who's you know descended from immigrants, um, you know in Cuba. Can you imagine that? I right. Mean, be, now they have gone really, really far in this. You know. Now we, we've 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 touched upon uh, the the uh, the books that he and and the outlets that he talks about in the emails, the publications, the white supremacist uh, websites, what he was pushing, mostly anti-immigrant sentiments, uh, uh, white nationalism. Um, how he tried to to shape the conversation. Is there anything else you think is a big like takeaway in terms of a, a topic or a, a policy that he tried to push in these emails that we haven't already touched upon? I'm, I mean, I mentioned in almost all the interviews just because um, you know it's such a, it, it's so spot on. But where he uses VDR, for instance, he uses it in the context of providing McHugh with information about um, temporary protected status for refugees, right? Right. And sure enough, what has Trump done? He's restricted that from countries, right? Right. So you can just see, like, how explicitly in that example, how white nationalist thinking has shaped his, potentially shaped his ideas on policy. Right. Where does he? Where does he get... Where does he, uh, the, you know, there's one reference to something that would, you know, seems very close to what would become the Muslim ban, right, is colloquially called, right? Um, where, where, uh, where did he get it from? He got it, it was uh, syndicated, but it came from in InfoWars, which we saw today. I mean, if he was reading InfoWars, did you see that InfoWars article, the article about InfoWars? I did from the, uh, the that uh, guy who uh, used to work there and was so disgusted with himself, he had to come out and speak out about what was going on at InfoWars. The, the, very fascinating, I thought. Yes, um, very, 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 very fascinating, and um, you know, a good contribution. I mean, like the way this. Uh, uh oh! All right, this this happens every now and then with Michael. It's probably some sort of uh, deep state. Uh, no, not the deep state because that that would be anti that. I was just telling people how you know probably I, I, the Trump I, administration I, I, I is messing again, with. Sorry. Yeah, some the Stephen Miller's probably using the uh, I don't know department of whatever to to mess with our internet connection. I'm sure he's uh... <laughs> so good. Bed, my like my bedroom is like worse reception. I think but, it's know, all good. Something I can do. So you what got, was the what was the what was the info <laughs> what was the info wars uh, thing you were uh, leading off with before you broke up? 
Oh, no, no, it's just like, you know, he he refers to something that is like, you know, Muslim ban, you know, right. related, I would say is the way I would describe it. Um, and it comes from InfoWars. And we see in the InfoWars, like in that InfoWars, you know, tell-all um, article in the New York Times, right? The guy's like, yeah, we're just making up stuff wholesale about Muslims to satisfy Alex Jones. So if he's reading out stuff about how Sharia is being, you know, is coming and like these places and whatever else and, on InfoWars... Um, He's reading a lot of scary stuff and stuff that we shouldn't be using to fuel policy. Right. Uh, that's that's wild to think that you know some random like uh, person working at Infowars is, is making up a fictional story to keep Alex Jones happy. Alex Jones reports this completely one hundred percent fictional. Well, I'm not even talking about he saw something in the news and shaped it in a way that fit his ideology. We're talking wholesale making up stuff like didn't happen complete works of fiction that alex jones went ahead and presented as real news and someone like stephen miller is reading this and then taking it as real and then emailing it to breitbart to spread the word so it gets covered and that gets fed to donald trump and to other republicans to then make it into policy yeah i mean for all i know that Infowars thing maybe it was linked on drudge that day maybe whatever but it's the consistency you know, it's the consistency of these, you know, of of the emails and the stuff he says in the emails that makes it clear that he would be exposed to that type of stuff, most likely around that time. I don't know. I mean, it's scary to me. Um, it's scary, like, that that this is, like, that these policies are connected to that stuff. That reality for me was very grave. It felt like very, you know, it was very heavy on my on my heart when I saw it. Right. Now, Michael... What if if you if you can I understand if you can't can you give us a small taste on what's to come? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. I, I'm trying not to give it away because I you know like I, I would just say that there are there are policies that are you know that are in the news that are being talked about now that I think we can provide some more information about you know how he might be feeling about those things. Interesting. You know, you know, in the back of his head and and, uh, you know, the tons of, uh, you know, pro problematic emails that I have not even put out yet. I will say that the, the, the stuff that is mo was most easily um, you know, mo the easiest to demonstrate, you know, in the traditional SPLC sense, this is hate, whatever. I use those early, like, you know, things that people know, like Vida, America Renaissance, Camp of the Saints, things, things you can see the history of hate, and also Center for Immigration Studies. That's a big one, man, um, which we didn't even talk about. That, that, that is crazy. That was the second one. Um, he sends 46 emails related to Center for Immigration Studies material uh, over a, just a 10-month span to Katie McHugh to shape her reporting. And there are times in which people from Sessions' office are actually on email threads, you know, with... Katie, as she's reaching out for comment for Center on Immigration Studies, they look very connected. They appear very connected in these emails. And Center for Immigration Studies has been invited into policymaking, according to their own members, by the White House. Uh, who would be doing that, you would guess? Miller. Um, but wh why is that important? Well, Center for Immigration Studies publishes authors who, again, they've got an, a veneer of you know, niceness or whatever, but it's a lot of like conservation, like, you know what I mean, type rhetoric, but they've, they've got, again, authors who traffic in eugenics, um, you know, the focus disproportionately of their writing is about keeping 
non-white for people from entering the country again. Um, so whatever. And the um, the head of Center for Immigration Studies, Mark, Mark Recorian, um, you know, in, after the El Paso shooting, uh, Cruzius, his manifesto, he, he, he referred to, he, he called it like well, remarkably well-written for a 21-year-old loner, I believe. Is what he wrote, what he said to the to the Washington Post at that wow. time. Is it really like, yeah? And it's like that Center for Immigration Studies to me is is, you know, the amount that they of space that they they play. It's interesting that it didn't pick up more that one, the second one with mainstream media. And I think it's because a lot of liberal publications have used Center for Immigration Studies as their this or that, like, you know, both sides in the Trump era. Right, 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 right. I mean, I feel like that happens a lot in terms of but they like, use, like, some... They use someone... That happens when the, when, the, when the Overton window is shifting in, like, a dramatic yeah. way. You're suddenly listening to a place that employs Jonathan Richwine, or Jason Richwine, I'm sorry, um, you know, Richwine, who, you know, wrote about, like, the Hispanic IQ. Like, I mean, he was fired. He was fired from the Heritage Foundation, this dude. Right, yeah. Michael. Oh yeah, one more. One more uh, I'll put my glasses on the end. Like people who complain that there's too much glare in my glasses. Actually, it's mostly like Nazis who complain. They're like, "I saw you on Doom." Why I'm appeasing these people? Those Nazis are very concerned about aesthetics, as you know. They all look very cool, and <laughs> they have the best styles, and <laughs> they're all very fit and in shape and looking good. Uh, yeah. So let me let me ask you really, and I understand if if you don't know this or whatever, but um, it's just this is something actually I've been wondering. Is yeah. this is this you, you know Katie McHugh provided the, these to you? Now is this is is McHugh sort of because I know she's had her own. I mean, she was fired from Breitbart for anti-Muslim rhetoric in in like mm. tweets or something. Now is this a case of of like someone like for example how Milo uh, went after Spencer and it's more like an inter you know, an inter-right wing battle where they just have a personal difference or has McHugh sort of left this behind and is trying to do this to sort of, I guess, you know, a weight off her shoulders and to, you know, try to fix some of the things that I feel like maybe she feels like she uh, contributed to. Yeah. Uh, I have talked to McHugh every day for like four times a day since June, basically like, she, uh, um, she and I are in constant contact, um, and she has suffered tremendously, you know, in her time outside of the all right. And I cannot vouch for her more strongly. Um, you know, people made like a really big deal of that guy who made the YouTube video about like being sucked into the alt right or whatever. So I, you know, remember that like the something no i know what you're talking Faraday about right, speaks right. guy right you know i mean there's been like a few things about people who leave this and they do this or whatever i mean McHugh is doing something she's not just telling people this is bad and don't do it i mean she is trying to dismantle it right you know she's trying she's trying um to undo a lot of the hate that she saw when she was in there and she participated in right just, you know like for people who don't understand like way sources work with journalists and stuff like that, it's like not every source is like, you know, like somebody's like, Hey, I want to show you something. And they're like, you know, 
don't really and they're like self-censoring you're like what are you talking about and it's like you know that's not useful you're like i can't really use this person ideal source behavior is what the type of stuff that McCube did man she just was like look here's a video link is that you interested in that? i said yeah i like i would like to see more um and then she didn't know what else was in those emails and she's just like take him right you know? now, is she is she still a conservative but just like not like a uh, like not a racist and a... I, I think she, you know, I mean, I think, or did she like pull a Peter Dow and go from I mean, like, she, 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 <laughs> she, she was saying positive stuff about, about Bernie last time I talked what? to her, um, but, but she was saying it, but she was saying it like, you know, in some ways, just like pure necessity, just like, you know, things about healthcare things like that. Like, right. you know, just like that sort of, you know, that, that type of stuff. I mean, it's like, uh, I think that right now, I mean, you know, I can speak for Katie, but I think her primary, you know, if there is an ideology, it is, it is against this old ideology, right? Like right. this, this anti-immigrant stuff. I mean, she feels a lot of grief, you know, right. and she, she has gets very emotional, you know, when you talk to her. And when I say very emotional, I was like, I, I'm pretty good at determining fake stuff at this point after been reporting for so long, and also like a lot of exposure to someone. I mean, she gets like really. You know, it's it's really tough sometimes. She will cry. Um, right. You know, when when she thinks about the stuff that happens, because she she remembers she was 23 years old when she started right. at Bright Park. Right. I mean, she... uh, uh, Connection uh, slowed again. Yeah, that's all right. You're we good? we're good. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, you know, like on on this show, many like for, for, I, we've gotten into full conversations. You know, in when I go to the uh, the after the interview section and read questions and comments from the um from the uh youtube stream and i've talked over and over again about how you know you know there's there's there if 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 someone wants to come out of this then like that's the whole point of like talking about this stuff like the best way to to, to stop white national and white supremacy is to literally turn these non-true believers the non-steven millers like steven miller is a lot like no one's trying to change steven miller this guy is he's he's bad news like that's who he is but there are people who are who were young and fooled into this, like they were fooled and tricked and 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 you know brought into this stuff, taught that you know these are the scapegoats to all your problems. And if we can reach out to those people, like it doesn't absolve them from everything, and you know you don't have to feel pity for them or anything like that. But but you know if they want to get out and and if and on top of that, there's no better way I think to literally like say like I want to help in fighting this stuff than to do what she is doing and that is with these emails like that is exactly like like you just said about being her being like the perfect sort of source for this I, I would even go further and say she's the perfect like uh, uh, example of someone uh, leaving this stuff behind if what yeah. you tell me is, is all accurate for sure you know, like, she, she's gonna be paying for this personally for a lot of her adult life and you know she's not looking for like an instant redemption but i also i think she has gone further to redeeming her public image with this than any person of this entire era quite frankly and she has she has she has um this is a heroic act for me um you know because like i said once you know once you know that 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 there is hate you know, circulating, like in the reading materials and in the in discussions of people in the Trump administration who are writing immigration policies. Once you know that, you know you can't unknow it. 
and there's no more speculation. That's it. Now you know. That's right. it. This guy, it's not this guy, those white nationalist websites that like, you know, are bad and like we're trying to keep, oh, they've bled over into his followers and this one's a problem and that, you know, and this and whatever. And this one said 1488 or whatever, you know, uh, whatever, whatever cliche fish stings from the head down or whatever, you know, the calls are coming from inside the house, whatever you want to say, whatever cliche. (laughs) The point is, the point is we know now, we know that's where it comes. That's where it came from. It came from. It came from an era in which, you know, people who believed in, in, in these, you know, these hateful things were given massive megaphones through through our president. Right. Right. Michael Edison Hayden of Hate Watch. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on this show. It's awesome, man. And really? uh, f- funny enough, by the way, some people in the YouTube comments are are saying how they can see through the reflection in your glasses my green screen because on YouTube they don't see the green screen. So <laughs> this is why I shouldn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dude. No, no, you're I, giving me. I, I literally right. can't. I cannot see. Like if I, <laughs> I can't see. I can't. I cannot see if my eyes are like wandering. Like, I'm. I'm actually blind. It's my all... glasses. I'm blind with my glasses on. It's just like different degrees of glasses. Yeah. You know, uh, so you're showing people the behind the scenes of Stephen Miller, and you're showing people the behind the scenes of Matt Binder. So it's a, it's a twofer on this episode. People in the YouTube chat, did the Islanders win? Did they hold on? I had to turn it off. Is that now? Oh, I don't even know. I'll I'll let you go so you can find out. All right, Michael, where can people find you online? I want to make sure they all follow you and find your work. At Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-E Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N, at Michael E. Hayden. And I'm there, and my DMs are open. I'm happy to hear tips. And if you're leaving the movement and you want to talk to somebody, um, I give a lot of time to my sources, and I try to do things in a way that I feel um, makes them satisfied with the final product. Um, you know, I mean, if you're coming just to be famous, then um, you know, go somewhere else. But <laughs> if, you're, if you're coming, if you're coming to tell the truth, there you um, go. Come to me, baby. All right. (laughs) Take Take care, Michael. Always a pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Doop. What a show. I always love when Michael comes on. He always has the scoops that, 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 I mean, there's probably no uh, other guest that envelops what this show is all about in terms of covering the right and getting really deep into it and... Letting you guys know of things that I mean, I mean, you've seen these Stephen Miller email stories by now, but I think we've really gone deep into this, and Michael's reporting does as well in terms of just you know what these uh, sources, these publications, these these books that Stephen Miller is uh, citing as inspiration. Where where do they you know what they are and and their background and who's running them and where they come from and why they're so dangerous. And, um, yeah, look at the time. We got to go to the second half for patrons. So let's, uh, let's thank those patrons right now. Uh, you could support the show by going to patreon.com slash mapbinder. That's patreon.com slash mapbinder. That's patreon.com slash mapbinder. We are seriously, honestly, inching so, so close to the goal. The goal I set was set a long time ago before... This show was really, you know, before the show wasn't even, I mean, it started and it wasn't even, I mean, we started strong, and but it really, not, 
it was before it even took off. And we had like a normal audience that tunes in for the live streams. Like I look at the live streams now and I know that there's about a dozen to two dozen regular names. And then there'll be a few more that surprise me who I've never seen before. Um, so patreon.com slash mapbinder. Literally, if like 10 more of you join, we hit the goal. And I will jump in a Patreon-only stream and literally we'll discuss what we're going to take it. We'll, we'll discuss where we go from there. Like, I'll just, you patrons will shape what's next. Do we do, like, an extra patron show? Do we do those YouTube clips I've been wanting to do? But if we hit that goal, I will be, I will be, I will do them. It won't be, oh, I want to do them. And if I can get around to them, no, if we hit that goal, that's part of hitting that goal. If that's what we agree upon uh, will be the, uh, the next step. So let's do this. Let's 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 get to that next point. Uh, and these are the people who have been with this show, uh, whether it be from last year when the patron opened, or whether it be from last month uh, when uh, the end of November was our last. Uh, December just started, so last month was the last show. <laughs> so um, those people who make the show possible: Abigail T, Adam. Adam Q. That's two separate Adams, by the way. I want to make sure that's uh, everyone. Everyone's got that. Alan B. Andrew C. Andrew H. Angela R. E. R. Ben. Benji. Bobby M. Brosnan. B. Z. Champagne. Kami. Chi. Christine H. Colin R. Connor R. Cyber Snowstorm. Dan. Dan K, that's two different Dans. Dan M, that's three different Dans. Dank Uger, Dave K, David Z, Dragon Slayer, Eugene B, Froz K, FTW All Day, Future MD, George A, Greg D, Grim Locke, Ian Curtis J, Jack D, Jameson Test, Janelle A, Jasmine H, Jeff K, Jeremy M, John B, John S, Jonathan B, Jonathan L, Joseph R, Joyce M, Justin S, Katie S, Katz, Kaushal, uh, Laputin Machine, Lisa D, Lisa H, Mark S, Matt Z, Max W, User Me, uh, Melissa M. I specifically say User Me because I don't want to say just me and people think that I donate to my own patron. The person's name is me. Uh, Melissa M, Mitch V, Michael B, Michael J, Michael M, Mr. Danks, Nicole A, Namdaynet, Null Style, Odeth, Qster, Ryan Left His Best, Scott R, Sean H, Stephen R, Stephen S, Struggle Session, TM, Tamni G, Terrence R, Thaddeus A, This Is Not Pizza, Tina M, Todd K, Tom G, Tom M, Why That Thai Guy, Will P, Wootopian, Zachary P, Zarin, and Zoe G. And actually, I wanted to thank one more person who is not currently a patron, but they joined after the last show, but, and, but they had to cancel after patron all, Patreon already charged them. So I'm assuming they joined with the intent of giving me a one-off, uh... And then they canceled because they, who knows why. But I want to appreciate even the one-off. You know, they were patrons during a time when, uh, so Peter G. Thank you, buddy. You count too. All right, folks. 
you can also support this show by uh, subscribing on YouTube, youtube.com slash Matt Binder. Also subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. I really have to get on top of getting this on Spotify and other places. I don't think it is on there yet. Um, I will do that. I've been saying I would, but I will do that. Uh, Also, if you're listening right now, if you're watching the live stream, I should say, you can give a one-off via Super Chat, and I will read your Super Chat immediately. You go right to the top, and if I have to cut the... Excuse me, I have to cut the comment short. Your Super Chat is a guaranteed read. Um... Or if you want to give a one-off and you're not listening to the page, uh, to the uh, live stream, you can do what Peter did and uh, join Patreon and then cancel after they charge you the, the first time. Uh, totally get if you have to do that. I just appreciate you even giving anything to begin with. Uh, obviously, my subscribers are ideal, but anything literally is great. Uh, I don't think... I, oh, yeah. This is actually the most important in terms of you don't have the financials or you do have the financials and you're an active patron. This is really what helps the show a ton. That's not of monetary, uh, trading monetarily. (laughs) Uh, Tell people about the show. Tell other shows and uh, personalities and YouTubers and podcasters about this show. And tell them you want to have me on as a guest. If you want to have me on as a guest, obviously. If you think I'd be good on that show. You know, I'm not going to tell you, you have to tell these people to have me on. But I will tell you this. Michael Brooks is doing a live show in February in New York City. And he's still uh, booking the, the lineup. And uh, I think he should book me. Don't you guys think so? I think you should all let him know you should book me. <laughs> Long-time listeners of this show and of the Majority Report with Sam Cedar will know my uh, friendly, long-standing friendly rivalry with uh, Michael Brooks. He's the uh, venom to my Spider-Man, the saber-tooth to my Wolverine, uh, whatever, whatever other nerdy comparison you could, you could think of. All right, folks. Patrons, I will talk to you in a minute. Everyone else... See you all next time on Doom.